Well, good morning. It is great to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm glad you're here, and I hope you feel welcomed uh, to be a part of our community, especially if uh, you're a first-time or recent guest. We, we are really glad you decided to come and visit us. We started a new series last week titled Become, that as Timothy just said, it's tied to this vision initiative, an initiative that at its heart is about us taking steps of faith to become the church God is calling us to be for his glory and for the good of the city. And we're asking two main things from you who call this place your home in this initiative. Would you prayerfully consider taking steps of what financial generosity might look like for you? And more importantly, would everyone uh, of you, because we desire 100% participation in this initiative, would all of you be considering what it means for you to be in, in your time, talents, and treasures to help us to become a, a church that God's calling us to be? If you're a guest and you are just checking Christ Central out, we don't want you to feel any pressure around this to participate. We're really glad you're here. And I would say to you that I, that I think that what better time to check out our church than to hear about our vision, uh, to hear what we care deeply about. Uh, so we're glad you're here. Uh, in this vision initiative that we've, we're calling Become, there's four things that we're really focused on. We want to see leaders raised up. We want to plant churches. Uh, we want to invest more deeply in mercy and justice. And we want to seek to have a permanent home here with our facilities, whether that be a long-term rental agreement or a purchase of a property, we're open to either. And all four of those, uh, if you've been around for some time, really have been at the heart of our church since our inception. We just feel like now's the time for us to take necessary steps to see it come to fuller fruition for us. And, and so each week we're going to kind of uh, roll back a little bit more detail about uh, each of these things of uh, the initiative. And so let me share a little bit more about what we mean by raising up leaders. And we feel like leadership obviously is vital uh, in anything, but it's vital for us to become a church uh, that God's calling us to be in the future. And so we want to do two things. First thing is we want to invest in you uh, as lay leaders. We want to really spend time investing and equipping you uh, in your own personal and spiritual renewal. We want to equip you to lead out in your relationships and in your vocations. Uh, and so we want, we want God to really fuel us to be a church that's on mission through you, our people. And then the second thing we want to do is invest to see vocational ministry leaders raised up. And in particular, we want to make it a priority to invest in minority leadership uh, who can serve within our church or can plant churches from our church or who can be sent to other places around the world. And so our plan is to start a ministry intern program. And we're, we're going to bring in three to four interns for a three to four year period of time. And these men or women will get exposure to the whole of our church for this time, serving in various areas. And while with us, we're gonna pay them a stipend and then we'll cover the expenses uh, of a master's degree through a seminary that we're seeking to begin a partnership with. Now our desire in doing this is to create an ecosystem of leadership, a pipeline of leadership, where a multi-ethnic leadership is raised up to lead within our diverse city. Because if we really want to see our city flourish, we believe having diverse leadership to reach the diversity of our city is necessary. We also want to raise up multi-ethnic leadership to lead within our denomination. Realize a lot of you aren't that familiar with our denomination. We love our denomination, but we feel like there's much need and, and desire more for our denomination in particular within the complexion and makeup of uh, those who lead within the churches. And so we long for diverse leadership 
to be raised up within our church so that we can begin to help change uh, the complexions of, of, of our denomination and the churches within so that the fullness and the beauty of what will one day be true in heaven, everyone, every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered around the throne of Christ is true in more and more churches around our country. So over the next five weeks, what we're going to do is preach through our newly worded core values. Uh, these core values that we've reframed and reworded, they're not too different from what we've said in the past, but now they're just uh, framed more in action behavior. I, th I think core values do multiple things for us. They'll, they'll guide our behavior, they'll help us create the culture that we want to be true, and they'll keep us aligned to where we're going. Uh, and so that's our hope is that God will uh, use these values to, to do that for us as his people uh, here. And our first value as a church is delighting in God. That Christ Central Church wants to be a community of people who above all things delights in God. Now, Dallas Willard was a philosopher and a, a leader in regards to spiritual formation. Dallas Willard was asked one day by a man named Gordon Cosby uh, over lunch, why do churches and ministries so often lose their founding vision to the point of the resulting institution years later, it's quite like the, uh, the original dream. It's unlike the original dream. What, what happens along the way where it's no more uh, the reality? To put it more succinctly, what Cosby was asking Dallas Willard is, what leads churches and ministries towards drifting in its mission? And Dallas Willard responded that the inward fire of vision for God is lost for the outward impact of mission and ministry. Say that one more time, that the inward fire of vision for God is lost for the outward impact of mission and ministry. I've thought about that statement all week in regards to our church. We are five and a half years old as a church. We're not that old, but God has been really gracious to grow our church in its numbers of baptisms and its membership to grow our ministries, to grow our staff team, our leadership, and our influence in the city. But the subtlety of mission drift is when we focus on those very things. The outward impact of ministry becomes our focus rather than having the inward fire of a vision for God. Henry Nouwen said, nothing conflicts with the love of Christ like service to Christ. If our mission, which I think personally, is a great one to see spiritual, social, cultural renewal for the glory of God and the good of our city. Or if our desire in this Become initiative, which I think is a great one to raise up leaders, plant churches, engage in mercy and justice, to have a permanent home, if these things become our vision, it will lead us to become a church on, that is in mission drift rather than becoming a church that God is calling us to be. Apply that to you personally and to me. If you become someone focused on your own spiritual productivity or your personal accomplishments, your effectiveness and success in this life, it will lead you to become adrift on the life God is calling you to rather than becoming the person God is making you to be as his daughter or his son. Instead of having an inward fire of a vision for God that fuels our whole life and our church, what we will do is simply start grinding it out day in and day out for pursuit of various goals. And I and you, we must have a central vision for God, which then leads us to delight in God 
above all things. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand, and I'm going to read God's word out of Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. This is God's word to us. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us now, to the deep places of our hearts where we doubt your love for us, where we doubt your delight in us, where we question your goodness to us. Lord, bring uh, your presence and your truth to bear. May the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you in this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, children can say some of the the funniest yet honest and free things that we'll ever hear. Uh, Listen to some of the prayers of children. Child named Larry prayed, God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. Eugene prayed, God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Lucy prayed, God, are you really invisible or is that just a trick? Norma prayed, God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was it an accident? Jane prayed, God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you've got now? And Nora prayed, God, I don't ever feel alone since I found out about you. Singer-songwriter Ellie Holcomb has a Christian uh, children's album. And Rachel and our boys listen to this album all the time as they're driving in, the, in her car. And the other day I was driving her car and both of my boys uh, were in it and they burst out into this song together uh, unprovoked. And I looked back into the rearview mirror and I saw both of them with big old grins and hand motions singing, fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you're mine. Both of my boys are just singing. Jesus in Mark chapter 10 says, to such belongs the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is for those who receive and come before God like a child. Now hear me, Jesus isn't given this lesson to say it applies just to little children. Jesus is giving a paradigm of Christian discipleship. Jesus is teaching all of us the way we are to follow and have a relationship with God, and that's that we are to be like a child. Now, there are many ways that I think a a child teaches us about relationship with God, but there's one specific way that I want to hone in on this morning, and it's this one word, attachment. Attachment. There's been a lot of scientific research done past 60 years in regards to a child's development through attachment. Two key scientists, Harlow and Bowlby, have brought attachment theory into the normal conversation in regards to a child's development. Both of them have written and and said that a child is born into this world with an innate desire to attach themselves to a caregiver. 
And this attachment, it's not based on receiving food or anything for survival, but rather this attachment happens through receiving touch and sensing security and love by affection. Now, Renee Spitz was an American Austrian scientist who studied the absence of parental affection, the absence of a healthy child attachment to the parent. And what Spitz observed in a South American orphanage is quite astounding. He, he was recording and observing what happened to 97 children who were deprived of, of emotional and physical contact with others. Because of a lack of funding, there was not enough staff to adequately care for the children who were aging from three months to three years old. The nurses, they changed the diapers, they fed, they bathed the children, but there was little time to hold the children, cuddle with them, or speak to them like a mother or a father would. After three months, many of them showed signs of abnormality. Besides a loss of appetite and being unable to sleep well, many of the children lay there with vacant expressions in their eyes. After five months, serious deterioration set in. They lay there whimpering with troubled and twisted faces. Often when a doctor or nurse would pick up an infant, it would scream in terror. 27, almost one-third of the children died in the first year, not from a lack of food or a lack of health care, but they died because of a lack of touch and emotional nurture. Because of this, seven more died in the second year, and only 21 of the 97 survived most suffering serious psychological damage. To become like a child, we need attachment. Here's my first point, the need for attachment. Look at verse 13. They were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. Now remember, this isn't just talking about little children. It's the paradigm for all of us in relationship to God. And so what we need, what all people need the most is to be touched by God, secured, attached to him in his love. Just as a child is attached to its parents, that then leads to healthy identity formation, we need to become attached to God's love so that we grow and develop as healthy Christians knowing our identity. Healthy attachment leads to healthy identity formation. Attachment to God helps us answer the question that most of us go through life asking and that we're seeking to try to constantly answer. And it's this question, who am I? Who am I? Harry Nowen says that the, the world teaches us to answer this question in three different ways. Who am I? Or let me put it in language of attachment. The world teaches us to seek to be attached in three different ways. By answering the question of who am I by, I am what I do, I am what people say about me, and I am what I have. I am what I do, I am what people say about me, and I am what I have. I am what I do. You know this is you when you do good things and you feel good about yourself, or when you fail at something and you feel depressed. This is you if as you get older, you begin to look at your trophies, right, like your accomplishments, your research, your company, your medical practice, your social work, the children you've raised, and you either feel good or bad about yourself. I am what I do. The second way we seek to answer who am I is I am what people say about me. This is a powerful one. You know this is you when someone speaks well about you and it kind of gives you a little pep in your step. It, keep you going for your day. And if someone says something about you that cuts it or behind your back, it, it makes you really sad. 
I know this is me. I can get many compliments, but it's the one negative remark about me or something I've done that cuts me and crushes me. It can ruin my whole day. The last way we seek to answer who am I or seek to be attached is I am what I have. We can look and say, look at my parents, my health, my possessions, my retirement account. You know this is you if you begin to lose some of these things. A family member dies, your health begins to decline, you have to have a job change, or you have to sell some of your possessions, or the stock market crashes, and you become undone. We all are seeking by answering this question, who am I, is attachment. We want an identity of one who is deeply loved and deeply secured. And we can spend a ton of our energy into I am what I do, I am what others say, and I am what I have. I, I can tell you that from experience. I do that and it's exhausting. It's so exhausting to live life up and down, zig and zagging, up when it feels like we're winning and down when it feels like we're losing. And it's so wrong. And this is exactly what the demon said to Jesus in the desert, by the way. That Jesus turned the stone into bread, do something. Jump off the temple and people will speak well about you. Kneel before me and you'll possess everything. Jesus, do something. People will speak well about you and you'll have it all. And through this, you'll be loved. It is the greatest lie we are told. And if we believe it, it will lead us to all live a detached life. And it will lead to malformation and it does violence upon all of our souls. And what we need is to be attached to God and know that we're his beloved daughter and son. Can I share with you? Honestly, how I've been living detached recently. This whole become initiative has provoked some fear and some shame and some guilt and pride in my own heart. I'm encouraged at times when I think about our church and what I get to do as a pastor, when I'm encouraged, I feel good. When I fear what some of you might say or think about me behind my back or about our church, I can get low. When I think about our vision and mission and, and it being accomplished, if I think it's going to happen, I'm encouraged and I'm up. If I think it's not going to happen, I get discouraged and I'm down. Surprise. Your often detached pastor can live thinking that my identity and security is tied to what I do, what you say about me, and what we possess. And what's been so good for me as we've launched into this Become Initiative is that I've really had to wrestle with God. I've had to press in to his deep love for me, his delight in me as his child. And when I'm attached to him this way as his beloved, I'm healthy. And my identity is found in him and him alone. Every single one of us needs to be attached to him and to his love. We've got to become like a child in this way. Well, here's the second point. This is the need of what hinders our attachment. What hinders us? Look at verses 13 to 14. The disciples rebuked them, the people, the parents bringing their children. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said, do not hinder. There are a few places in scripture when we see Jesus getting righteously angry and indignant. And this is one of them. Because Jesus wants nothing more than to touch every single person to care for and embrace and love every person. And he gets angry when something or someone is hindering it from happening. So we've got to ask the question, what hinders us from our attachment to God and his love? I'm going to give you three things. There's a 
a list that I could give, but I'm going to give you three things. Here's the first thing that I think hinders us from being attached as the beloved. We don't know ourselves. We're emotionally unhealthy, and that hinders us from being attached to God. Many of us have not done the hard work of looking inside at our own hearts, asking the questions of what do we long for? What do I need? What do I desire? And why do I long for that? Why do I desire that? Why do I need that? In our emotionally healthy discipleship class, Peter Gazzaro says we all have to go back in order to move forward, meaning we all have histories, we all have families and stories and traumas and dynamics at play that have actually led us to live life detached, feeling not loved, insecure, because we all live in a broken world. And so in order to become attached to God's love, we have to understand ourselves and what has led us to this detached life, what prevents us from receiving love. Now, some of you, if you've been around the church for some time, maybe you're, you're going, well, Daniel, this sounds like a therapeutic gospel. And I would say, no, it actually sounds like being human in a relationship with a living God. And to live in a relationship with God, we've got to bring our whole selves into his presence We don't live our lives based on our emotions in the past, but they do show us who we are and how we feel. And then we bring ourselves truly and authentically to God. If we don't know ourselves, we will be hindered from attaching to God in the ways we need. That's the first way we're hindered. The second way we're hindered is busyness. The disciples are sitting here, they're doing ministry for Jesus and they're missing out on the person of Jesus who's with them. They are a lot like what Dallas Willard said. They're focused on the ministry of Jesus, but they've lost the vision for and of Jesus. Now, busyness, hurry, productivity. These are all things that we've all grown up, you know, in our culture applauding. And honestly, through being busy, hurry, and productive, we can kind of feel good about I, what I do. We, we might have people say good things about us, and we might actually possess things of this world. But busyness, hurry, and productivity will lead to spiritual malformation and identity malformation because we're missing the touch and the security and the attachment of Christ and his love towards us. So busyness is a, is a hindrance. And the last hindrance is distraction. The disciples have Jesus with them right before their very eyes, but they're distracted. They're distracted by the ministry. They're distracted by the parents bringing the children. They're distracted from beholding Jesus. And all of us have lives filled with distractions, good and bad things that cause us to place our focus on something besides Jesus and his love. If you're a Christian, uh, maybe this week you've tried to focus on Jesus. Maybe you try to spend time with God in his word or in prayer, or maybe you try to like get still and be silent and meditate and I guarantee you, you were probably distracted. A text message came through, a tweet, Instagram, Facebook, bank account purchase from somebody other than yourself, a score update, right? Our iPad and Androids and iPhones just bling, 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 going off. Now, I'm not poo pooing technology, it can be used for good ends, but I will say in our day and age, I think technology is one of the biggest things that distracts us. Research has shown that if you quit social media, your happiness will go up 40% within five days. Try it, see how it goes. 
technology keeps all, all of us connected at all times, but always distracted, therefore missing the focus of Jesus and his love. Focus, by the way, is worship. What you choose to focus on, what you choose to spend your time looking at, investing in, it is what you worship. Poet Mary Oliver wrote that attention is the beginning of adoration. Attention. For us to be focused on God and his love, to know that nothing matters more than being with him. If we want to be a people who delight in God, and I think we do, it will only happen when we become attached to God as his beloved child. And the way we become more and more attached is by removing the hindrances. So we have to know ourselves. We have to know our emotions and our hearts so that we can bring our true selves into God's presence, which means we need counselors and friends and community and one another and pastors to help us get to know ourselves. Second thing we have to do is we have to slow down and not think that our productivity is our identity. We need to rest and stop and have boundaries so that we can rest in God's love. And lastly, we have to become less distracted. I mean, try putting away your iPhone and iPad and TVs and get off social media and seek to be more focused on God. Here's the last thing I want us to look at is the invitation, the invitation to be attached. Jesus is indignant, angry at people that are being hindered from be, being touched by him. He's passionate for people to experience this touch. Now, if you think about that, that Jesus wants to touch them. He wants to touch us. He's not, just, not talking about little children. He's talking about us. He wants to touch us. He wants to hold us. He wants to put his arms around us and bless us and lay his hands on us. For some of us, that, that we all kind of all of a sudden, we, we were resistant to that imagery. We're resistant for all kinds of reasons because all of us have stories and families and traumas and things that, again, make us resistant because we've lived life detached rather than healthily attached. Now, here, here's the main thing that I want us to, if we could take one thing away this morning, here's it. Jesus is angry for you. He's angry for you. He wants nothing more than to take you into his arms and bless you and put his hands on you and hold you and tell you he loves you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord is in your midst. He's a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I don't all the time. I mean, the, the enormous task we have is to claim this truth and then to live our life based on it. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. He's the first love. And the struggle we have in this life is to claim his love. It is only his love that will satisfy us completely. You realize every other love, though it be real, is only partial and limited. Even the love of a mother, a father, a friend, a teacher, a coach, a spouse, as good as it might be, is still partial because we're human and those who have loved us will still inflict wounds upon us. But Jesus loves perfectly. From the foundations of the world, he has loved us. The Father, Son, and Spirit created the world and created us and delighted in us. I want you to listen to the Jesus Storybook Bible, a children's Bible, and their interpretation of Genesis chapter 1. 
So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. God loved them with all his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. And Jesus created each one of you. Each one of you Jesus created uniquely. Each one of you fearfully, wonderfully made. There is only one of you in the whole wide world. And God delights in you. And Jesus saw the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of this world because of sin and loved us to the point of death on a cross. He gave his life so that we could be brought back into communion with a God of love. The love of God answers the question. The love of Christ answers the question, who am I for us? I'm not what I do. I am what Christ has done for me. I'm not what others say about me. I am what Christ declares to be true about me. And I am not what I possess here on earth. I am the one who possesses every spiritual blessing and will one day, someday, with Christ reign in all things. Believing this and being attached to God is the only thing that will lead us to be a church that delights in him above all things. In the summer of 1857, there was a businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear who spent a few months knocking door to door to invite people to a daily prayer meeting that would happen on the third floor of this old church in the center of New York City. On September 23rd, 1857, Jeremiah Lanfear entered after months this old church room, 12 p.m. He hung a sign on the door, prayer meeting, 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Stay five minutes, stay 10 minutes, stay the whole time or as time permits. For the first 30 minutes, Lanfear was the only person there and he thought nobody else would join. At 12.30, a few other people joined him in prayer, six people in total. As the weeks went by, the crowd got larger and larger. There was a financial crisis that happened in the country and within six months, what started with one man grew into a movement of over 10,000 people praying from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. in a city of 800,000 people. A little over 12% of the population gathering daily for one hour to pray. A great movement of God to the city and to the world. Not because of focus on the mission, but because of a fire inside fueled by beholding God. A vision for God, to know God, to be attached to the love of God in Christ. And what resulted is 10,000 people delighting in God and then being used by God for the glory of God and for the good of their city. May it be so for us. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would, I pray that you would cause our hearts to believe just how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ. We resist it to even imagine ourselves as one of the children being held in your lap, your arms around us, Lord, we want to be the ones that are doing things or, or we, we're questioning that you're good enough to love us or, or, Lord, we're looking for other things to give us our identity. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning that they would walk out of here knowing one thing. I would believe it. We all would believe that you are angry 
for us. You want nothing more than to let us know and experience your love to us, to let us experience what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. I pray that you would do that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.